It's not a product, it's a technology. It's an education challenge. A regenerative suspension? There will be a growing demand for industrial photovoltaics. Tom Tiger. Innovation in the financing space. The high-speed train is in all our interests. All political lines. Australia is a solar paradise. The market is moving much faster than that. You've got something that's transformational. Solar window in a can. Beyond Zero, global warming science, solutions and action. Taking it to a do-it-yourself level. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Beyond Zero show. We're coming to you from the studios of 3CR Melbourne, syndicated around Australia on the Community Radio Network and podcast at 3cr.org.au. Both the BZE Community Show and this show are also available on iTunes and Stitcher. Please subscribe and rate us to help others find the show too. My name's Michael Steindl, and today I'm joined by my co-host Kay Winnigal. Hi, Mike. Hi, listeners. And Natalie Bucknell. Hello, Mike. Hello, listeners. As we hope you've had the chance to hear in recent episodes, production of green hydrogen forms part of the solutions in the BZE regional plans and the Renewable Energy Superpower Report, as well as in Professor Ross Garno's new book. Today, to explain how green hydrogen fits into the mix with transport and export opportunities, we have Scott Naga, who is the Senior Manager of Future Mobility and Government Relations at Hyundai and is also a co-founder of the Hydrogen Mobility Australia Group. Hi, Scott. Thanks for joining us. Hi. Scott's down in Tassie, folks, so that's why he's not in the studio Freezing with us. Freezing <laughs> Tassie. Have you warmed up at all, Scott? I mean, it's beautiful to see the snow down here. I'm just looking at my hotel room now over the harbour here in, in Hobart and looking up at the uh, the mountains and the snow clouds are over the mountains and it is quite windy here still. Mm-hmm. Mm. That makes it so much chillier, doesn't it? The snow does make it worthwhile, though, doesn't it? Scott, you're the co-founder of Hydrogen Mobility, as I just said. Tell us how you, how that started and what its aim is. Yeah, back in 2013, Hyundai imported the first hydrogen fuel cell vehicle, the IX35, and that was a left-hand drive vehicle. And it was here primarily to show governments and the media and the public that hydrogen transport is a real opportunity for the future. One of the things we did find uh, during that process, we had to have a refuelling station and then we discovered there's no codes and standards here for hydrogen refuelling. Uh, and then really there's no opportunity to manufacture those stations here. So we started looking abroad uh, and looking at the associations overseas, Hydromobility UK, France, uh, the Californian Fuel Cell Partnership um, over there in, in California. So we started to see a network of companies coming together for the same goal, is to realise the opportunities for hydrogen in different countries in the world. So back then, uh, we commissioned the station in December 2013 and we called up um, the guys at Toyota and some other places and said, come and have a look at the technology, come and see what's happening and let's start a discussion. From there, it grew to having more people that had interest in infrastructure, uh, safety, the production of hydrogen, the use of hydrogen and the uh, export of hydrogen. Uh, It's grown to be quite a big company. Uh, It's an association that uh, was reformed again in 2018 and we've got some of the largest companies in Australia and around the world who are members of it, all looking at the opportunities in Australia to uh, manufacture hydrogen for, for transport opportunities here, but also the export opportunity. And they include fossil fuel companies too, I believe. It does, yeah. We, we've got the guys from Caltex and BP there and, and Viva Energies there and, and all three of the big gas companies, Elikid, BOC Lindy and also Corgas through the West Farmers Group. So they're all members. We've got Siemens Germany there. Woodside Energy is also a member. So there's a whole lot of different members there, some international companies like ITM Power who make green hydrogen in plug-and-play solutions. So drop a container into a site, plug your energy in and in your water, and it'll make the hydrogen on site. So there's a whole lot of diverse companies looking at different ways they can use hydrogen here in Australia. Uh, Remembering that most of these big companies 
of their parent companies are doing it overseas anyway. Yeah. They're transitioning their fleet away from fossil fuels and they know that eventually Australia will have to move the same way. Way ahead of us as usual. Now, Scott, yeah. that leads me into a next question. You mentioned green hydrogen. There seems to be a lot of colours associated with hydrogen. Green, blue, black, grey. Can you explain those a little bit? Yeah, it's one of those things that hydrogen can be made from a lot of different sources, whether it's steam reforming natural gas that does have a quite a large carbon footprint and that'd be classified as a, as a grey or, or black ammonia. Um, a lot of hydrogen is produced from or as a byproduct of, of making different gases and different chemicals. So rather than flaring that hydrogen off, capturing that hydrogen, clearing it, cleaning it and compressing it, dispensing it. So that's probably more of your, your blue hydrogen and then you've got your green hydrogen where you can really track the footprint of, of manufacturing from using renewable energy, cycled water, and then coming through into into a vehicle that emits nothing out of the source but water and purified air. That's where the green stuff would sit. So the other um, question I think many of us aren't clear about is what's the difference between a hydrogen fuel cell vehicle and electric vehicles? Yeah, they're both propelled by, uh, in our case, with our Nexo fuel cell vehicle. We actually have our first production car arriving next month here in Australia. We've had pre-production cars here for many years. The electric motor in our Kona electric is exactly the same as the electric motor in our hydrogen fuel cell vehicle. The difference is we plug one into a wall and the other one we take to a service station or a, um, a gas station and we fill up with hydrogen. Uh, the big cha- challenges there are uh, the cost of hydrogen infrastructure is more expensive than EV infrastructure. The benefits are rapid refuelling. We can refill the car in three minutes and get between 650 to 750 kilometres from a tank of hydrogen, which is about six kilos of hydrogen. Scott, one of the great advantages with the battery electric vehicle is the really low maintenance. Does introducing the fuel cell affect your costs of maintenance of the vehicle? No, it's exactly the same. One of the biggest benefits of of zero emission vehicles is the moving parts are greatly reduced. So there's about four to six moving parts in an electric vehicle. So our Kona uh, electric has uh, about four moving parts in engine bay. And for a fuel cell vehicle, we move to six moving parts. So... There's no oil to replace, there's no filters, so you're not going to go to the dealer and get a, an expensive service where the, the majority of the cost is in those, those filters and those oils. So it's really get the vehicle in once a year, have a safety check around the vehicle, make sure everything's up to date, the programs are all ready to go and, and get the vehicle back out there. You mentioned about standards in Australia for hydrogen infrastructure. Has there been progress in, on that front now? Yeah, there certainly has. One of the, the key focuses from Hydro Mobility Australia is looking at codes and standards and how do we introduce the very best standards in the world. We don't want to have a standard in Australia that's unique to Australia so that anything that's manufactured around the world or even locally really fits with the global market. So we're looking at what's completed or done in Germany and looking to bring that to Australia and, and working with Standards Australia now to, to do that. When I built the first station in 2013, there was there's nothing here, so we had to use the Californian fire code, uh, NFPA2, which is because our station came from America. And that was very difficult to the point where our building had to be earthquake rated against what was happening in, in California for building. So really? we went through a number of challenges and, and, and sent me from a, a nice jet black hair to a, a little bit grey. So hopefully we've <laughs> alleviated those problems now. There's a lot more awareness of the technology and the safety with the technology. And we should be able to have something on the ground here fairly quickly. And, and people are starting to look at those next stations. We know the ACT station was announced uh, a couple of weeks ago and that it should be completed around December this year and we're aware of about half a dozen more stations that should be completed by mid next year. So what standards are they operating to? Because you, from what I gather from what you just said, there hasn't formally been an adoption of a particular standard or code yet. 
Yeah, so picking up the very best standards globally. So really we're looking at those, those, those best standards out of Europe and adapting those slightly to the requirements for here in Australia. So that's still a work in progress in some of those spaces. But people in Europe have been refilling vehicles of hydrogen for a very long time, uh, in some cases 15, 20 years. So really? we're a little wow. bit behind that. So um, it's, it's just a matter of Australia catching up. Again, we don't need to have something unique for this market. It, it's, it's bad enough we do it for a lot of other things, including... Mm. Um, the Australian design rules um, that we still have mm. to meet our cars. We can't just bring cars from Europe in right-hand drive. Yes, We've got to have specific cars designed for our market, which which adds cost to every vehicle. Scott, just a moment back, you, you said to Nat that the, um, the the fuel cell cars were basically the same reliability as a, as a battery electric vehicle. The, you have added the, the complexity of the fuel cell module and looking, say, at the Toyota one that I've seen at, at various sustainability festivals and so on, there is a lot more under the bonnet than, say, under Kay's electric vehicle bonnet. Is that extra complexity, or are you basically equating the, the reliability of the fuel solar similar to the reliability of the batteries, and so their lifetimes expected to be the same? Yeah, it's pretty much it. I mean, we've done a lot of testing for over 20 years on, on the, the fuel cell stacks and the durability of those stacks, also the servicing requirements, so... We do know that they're going to last a long time. We have got some very big warranties on the vehicles that are deployed in Europe and North America. So we've got no problem thinking that the cars are going to last as long as the batteries. And you know, even the battery technology is really advancing quickly. We've done some presentations down here to the Tasmanian government um, the last couple of days. I had off to visit the CSRO this morning down here to talk to the fleet guys nationally about technology for both EV and fuel cell. But Things have happened so much since we think of the first Nissan Leaf. And that was a great car. It was a great car for its time with great technology. But just the battery technology, the lithium-ion polymer batteries, with our cone, we have cooled batteries. So we use the cooling system in the car to either heat or cool the battery. And that cooling system is now connected into the air conditioning system. So in, in very hot temperatures, we launched the car in, in Adelaide during February. And we had some 45-plus degree temperature days where, as the vehicle is charging up, the air conditioning system will cut in rapidly chill the cooling system to maintain a constant temperature in the battery so we're getting a full rapid fuel quickly and that technology bleeds over from electric vehicles to fuel cell vehicles and the control modules a lot of the, the different components are all the same across the different mm. the different technologies there and that's key to getting the price down you can't yep. have unique components from one zero emission vehicle to another zero emission vehicle they've got to have crossovers there so control control units modules um, the electric motor itself, a lot of those are um, the same from, from an EV to a hydrogen fuel cell vehicle. So, Scott, talking about costs, we all complaining about the costs of EVs. What are the yep. costs of hydrogen vehicles in comparison? Yeah, the hydrogen vehicles are a little bit more expensive than that, so you're probably looking towards that, that ninety to $100,000 mark. But for a range, of, a range of the manufacturer vehicles that will eventually make themselves here to Australia there, there's more complexity as in the tanks are more expensive. They're a carbon fibre tank. They're about an inch, inch thick. They are very, very safe. And my background was working for the technical working group for ANCAP crash testing. So from my background there we, and the testing we've seen in, in Korea and the testing is done to comply them, they are, are very safe. But they are, are expensive at the moment. And talking about the expense then, how much does it cost to refuel them? I know that in Europe, it is, I think it's a lot cheaper than it is here, isn't it? Yeah, um, we're paying about... So I'm using a number of stations across Europe, and whether it's an oil company station that's using hydrogen or whether it's a gas company retailing hydrogen, what we're seeing or the benefit of the technology is that for the, in the future with hydrogen, it's not just an oil company going to sell you a transport fuel. Gas companies make a lot of hydrogen. It's a byproduct of a lot of gases they make, so... They're using it a lot more. They're going to sell you transport fuels in the future and possibly even sell you milk, bread and chocolates. 
technology companies using uh, renewable energy, uh, electrolysis of water, are also going in competition to big oil and big gas, remembering that guys that are making it on site in a 20 or 40 foot container haven't got a refinery somewhere to maintain and operate. They haven't got a distribution network of trucks. Everything with these renewable stations, stations made by companies like ITM Power or Nell out of Europe, they're plug-and-play units, so you don't have these big logistic networks transporting hydrogen across the country. You don't have a big refinery somewhere that needs a lot of upgrades and and maintenance and service. That's really a way of distributing how we we manufacture energy and how how we have it retailed in the future. And, of course, it has to be renewable energy. We don't have any other alternatives. It does. I mean, it's amazing. I spend a bit of time working overseas in the US and, and Germany, even back in Korea, and it's it's probably even a little bit embarrassing when people are saying Australia is such a massive country, got so much land, so much free resources, mm-hmm. as in the best overlap in the world of wind and solar in some cases around the South Australian and Western Australian coast. Just talking to the government here down in Tasmania the last couple of days, the amount of renewable energy being deployed, and we, we met with Hydro Tasmania yesterday, the opportunities down here are huge to, one, power the fleets here. And I'm, I'm just overlooking the, the fishing fleet here in the harbour in Hobart. There's boats, uh, and look at Hamburg, for example, with ferries and some of the, um, the fishing trawlers that are moving to a zero-emission drivetrain because they're out in our environment. They're collecting fish, or they're around the, the aqua farms where you've got fishing pens with, with diesel engines. We need to move that to something more sustainable and renewable, and we're starting to see that in Germany, for example, It'd be great to have that happen here in Australia, and especially somewhere like Tasmania, where you've got so much clean and green energy. Scott, we're going to have to move faster. We're only a little way into our questions. This is so fascinating. Japan has already set a target by 2020 that they want to have 40,000 electric vehicles powered by hydrogen fuel cells. South Korea and Hyundai are also making similar commitments right now. It's estimated by experts will be 2 billion electric vehicles by 2045. Two billion vehicles and half of them powered by hydrogen fuel cells. Is that realistic? It is, but we really need action. We have the energy to be able to power these vehicles. We have the opportunity to make it. I mean, working in and out of Korea and working with Austrade and the Korean government and the SOSO here, there's people in southern Asia, our neighbours up north, that want to buy our green energy. I really think we should be looking at how we have that energy here in Australia to power our own networks before we think about selling it offshore. Mm-hmm. It is a possibility, but globally we need to change. We need to think about fleet transition globally. The technology exists. It's one of the things that I keep presenting. The technology exists. We've got cars arriving on the 5th of June next month that are full production, fully Australian, complied and certified fuel cell vehicles, but I've got nowhere to fill them apart mm-hmm. from our station. Well, they could go to Canberra. <laughs> That's right. We've we'll, we'll got 20 vehicles going into the ACT fleet uh, at the end of the year, and there's a number of stations uh, some in Queensland, some in South Australia, uh, that will come online next year. So we'll have vehicles deployed. But to get those big fleet numbers up, we really need to have more infrastructure and we need to have a national roadmap. What are we planning to do as a country? Not the little state-by-state trials or council-by-council. What are we doing as a country? We don't mm, want to have That's the been a good question of mine for a long time. Yeah, we've, we've just finished doing that fight with electric vehicles and I remember leaving NRMA as a, as a motoring rider um, nearly a bit over eight years ago now and writing about technology in cars and, and coming to a manufacturer. Seeing that we didn't have a, a decision made about an electric vehicle charging plug in Australia, it's only been decided in the last year or two. It was a long fight by a lot of people in the industry that were passionate about making sure we have the best technology for Australians um, and making sure that when Westfield or another big shopping centre puts in 100 charging stations throughout the shopping centre, they're putting in 
one type of charging station with one plug that everyone can use, mm. not having to worry mm. about a Type 1 or a Type 2 or a Tesla plug or a Chatamo plug. Of course, We yeah. don't decide on technology very well. We don't... You know, there's, there's great examples that most other countries in the world are probably 10 years ahead of us here, and we're not studying what they're doing. And to be, to be honest, most of the big projects around the world or the countries that are transitioning away from fossil fuels, it's government-led. Mm. Wonderful. If you've just tuned in, we're talking to Scott Naga from Hyundai, who is a co-founder of Hydrogen Mobility Australia. Scott, batteries are heavy, and packing more into vehicles to gain range quickly becomes self-defeating as energy is wasted at the expense of a payload. And a Toyota executive recently said a battery electric 40-tonne truck with a 500-kilometre range needs eight tonnes of battery. Given a 500-kilometre range with tanks not much larger than a petrol tank, would hydrogen fuel vehicles be better suited to long-haul buses or trucks rather than cars? Yeah, they will. And there's kind of a crossover. We keep getting asked by people, and this is probably one of the questions that annoys me when it keeps coming up from, I suppose, even especially from politics a lot, is what's going to be the winner? We want you to pick a winner right now between hydrogen technology and electric vehicle technology. The winner we should be picking is zero-emission vehicles or internal combustion vehicles that rely on pollution and imported oil so don't try and pick a winner of new technology. Really, everything that's petrol today that relies on the uh, petrol to, to our vehicle or diesel, that's going to be EV in the future. And diesel vehicles, uh, whether it be large SUVs and, and pickups and trucks, buses, trams, trams, trains and ferries, they're all going to be fuel cell. There will be a crossover. So kind of your large SUV where the Hyundai Nexo sits, that's going to be the crossover where you'll see either a, a full electric drivetrain or a full fuel cell drivetrain. Mercedes-Benz have done something unique. In 2017 at the Frankfurt Motor Show, they released or showed the GLC F-Cell. It's their new large SUV hybrid fuel cell vehicle where it's got a large battery. We can go home and plug it in and power your car. I think you get 100, 150 kilometre range out of it. But if you're doing those larger journeys, go to a local service station, fill up with hydrogen and keep going. So it's a hybridisation of two zero-emission mm. technologies, mm. but nothing that car is relying on, on oil or, um, or pollution. Mm. It's interesting. So why are there not more charging stations, Scott? What's the hold-up there? From what we know, there's the one coming up in Canberra, there's the one you've got down in Tassie, there's be in the future presumably a combination of publicly and privately funded sites and the solar-powered refueler in Altona that Toyota and Arena are currently working on, um, which is due to open 2020, but there's not much else happening in that front. What's happening there? Yeah, a lot of it's waiting on, I suppose, the whole country to move as one. So last year, I think it was on the 20th of December, Dr. Finkel went back to COAG and there was an agreement to put together the hydrogen strategy. And part of that strategy is looking at deployment of 20 hydrogen stations around the country as a Kickstarter. So Hydrogen Bill Australia, uh, with Claire Johnson being our CEO and a number of other people within industry are working closely with um, various government departments. Um, there are some meetings happening next week in Sydney uh, around this again. Uh, some big roundtable meetings, really how do we have a strategy for the whole country? It's not just a council or a state government moving by themselves. What is our national strategy? Uh, we know from the Korean government releasing their, their hydrogen national strategy, the Japanese, German, the UK, there's a lot of countries in, in the world that have got a strategy for the future, they've got a plans and a time frame and they're working towards it. We need a national approach and a national strategy and that's going to help deploy more stations over time. But really for us, and, and I'm a car, car guy, I work for a, a car company, Really to justify the existence of a hydrogen station, especially a large commercial one, we need buses and trucks running off it. A car will use six kilos of hydrogen. Uh, it'll be back once a week or once every second week to fill up. 
a bus on your back every single day to fill up with 50 kilos every single day. So the people that are outlaying a big cost to build these hydrogen stations know they've got a guaranteed return that's going to come back every day, whether it's one bus or a fleet of buses. Each one will take 50 kilos rather than a couple of cars taking six kilos every couple of weeks. Just on that, I want to make sure I'm clear and for our listeners clear about what a hydrogen fuel charging station consists of. You you sort of covered it before, but so fast that people who weren't familiar with it mightn't realise. I, I think you're saying the hydrogen reduction is actually a, a containerized thing, a modular unit that they can just drop at the back of a current service station or something, and um, it's fed by electricity. You're not trying to pipe or carry hydrogen around the economy. You're actually carrying the electricity around, producing it on site and storing, I guess, a buffer to be able to charge vehicles up immediately. Is that right? That's correct, yeah. And, and it can be a number of different ways. So you can have the on-site production, which is, is really a great method because you are using, hopefully, green energy and recycled water to do that. Uh, you can make the green hydrogen somewhere else. So examples in Germany where they make the hydrogen at a massive wind farm, Mainz near uh, the town near Frankfurt, and they then distribute that hydrogen around the greater Frankfurt area to hydrogen stations and decant it into to stations. That means there's a smaller footprint. You don't need a 20 or 40-foot container on site. In California, they've got um, liquid hydrogen that's piped around dates, so they've got the opportunity there of taking a, a feed of liquid hydrogen. There's a, there's a number of ways of doing it, either making it off-site, um, whether it be green or, or black, and having it dropped into site, making it on-site with renewables. There's so many different opportunities. Um, stations I used in, in Germany consist of stations that are powered completely by renewables, where it's unmanned, you drive in, you get your green hydrogen, you drive out, there's no one there to greet you. It's, there's no milk or chocolates, so there's no one on site. But you can go to a Shell service station. I've probably used more Shell-branded stations around the world than any other any other brand. So I'll give you an example of one of the big global oil companies that's really looking at what's happening for the future, remembering as a car manufacturer, with global emission regulations cutting in and countries banning the sale of internal combustion engines from 2025 and 2030, 2040, we can't keep selling internal combustion into those countries, which means oil companies can't keep selling petrol to power those fleets. So what is the feel of the future, they need to be selling on the forecourt to keep those selves in business, whether it's electricity or hydrogen, they need to change their business. Green hydrogen. Which, which leads yeah, directly green. to our next question, that in researching this program, you made the comment to Kay that um, people in Southeast Asia, it's not whether, but when we can export green hydrogen to our northern neighbours. Oh, what right. are the companies and, and can we do it? Yeah, there's a number of companies looking at it now and it's really led by the CSRO technology where they developed the cracker be able to put liquid ammonia, NH3, into the cracker. Now comes pure hydrogen at the quality the cars need. Mm. Now, what that enables us to do, it's, it's very difficult to move hydrogen gas around. We don't have liquid hydrogen in Australia. It's very expensive and energy-intensive to make liquid hydrogen. And we have a lot of gas that's transported around Australia. But how do we transport a lot of hydrogen to our northern neighbours that want our fuel? The best way to do that is a form of ammonia. So mm -hmm. using renewables to make a lot of ammonia, the best part about that, the ships exist. The ports exist around the world. It's a tradable commodity. We already use it for fertilisers and explosives and other applications, but using it to power the fleets of the future or the grids of the future is really the key task here. And, and working in and out of Korea for a number of years and, and talking with Australia and the Korean government and different companies around the world, there's, there's some great opportunities for Australia to power the, the world with our renewable energy. We just need to start acting now because there's a lot of people around the world that are making or can make green ammonia. All they're missing is the CSRO technology, but given time they'll either buy it or they'll, they'll lease it or they'll, 
they'll develop their own technology. So we've got a, a window to move and we're moving a little bit slow on that at the moment. That's brilliant leading to probably our time for our one last question in the last two minutes. It is about that ammonia economy and using ammonia as an interim to transport hydrogen in a convenient way. Ammonia is very easily liquefied, minus 30 instead of nearly full zero for hydrogen, and even LNG needs minus 160. So you're saying the existing technology that we're using to transport LNG could be used for ammonia, and and that's viable to actually spend the energy to convert the hydrogen into ammonia and then back out at the other end. Is that what you're saying? It is, yeah, and governments are looking at that around the world. So governments need to buy all their energy, whether it's coal or any other form, gas. They're looking to have a greener, a greener source of energy. So Korea, for example, where they need to, to buy in a lot of gas into the country and coal or different things, or they use nuclear in, in Korea as well. Um, they're looking to transition to a cleaner economy. They've got a, a hydrogen strategy, and that includes hydrogen for transport and also for the, the power network. Scott, one last question. The Hydrogen Council predicts that by 2050, this is the World Hydrogen Council, by 2050 hydrogen will make up 15% of global energy demand with annual sales of hydrogen and equipment of $2.5 trillion. So imagine what that would mean for job and export opportunities in Australia if it had its share using all the free and abundant renewable energy to generate it. Are you hearing that that's a, something that Australia can do in, in a big way? Yeah, we're hearing it from, I suppose, some of the more motivated companies in Australia that are talking about it, but we're also hearing it from people around the world that we deal with. The problem is here we're not moving fast enough to take advantage of that, and other countries will, will mm. take advantage of that. You look oh, at all no. the um, offshore wind that's deployed in Europe and remembering where there's a lot of uh, oil under deserts, there's also a lot of sunlight above those deserts in those countries that are now big powerhouses with uh, extracting oil from the earth and, and transporting around the world, they've also got a lot of sunlight that they can make renewable ammonia um, with. So they're also going to be our competitors of the future. We're in the box seat. So I suppose one time where our location globally is a benefit to us, where we've got a lot of neighbours close that rely on our resources, and that resource in the future should be renewable fuel to power fleets and grids. As a country, we just need to step up and, and take advantage of that. People want our technology. They want our renewable energy. Uh, we need to start making some decisions about how we how we start to be a, a big play here and not just a, a sideline observer. Yes, we do. And that's a great note to end up on. Thanks so much for your time today, Scott. No problems. Have a good day. And Brilliant. our listeners can find out more if they Google Hydrogen Mobility Australia. I'd imagine that's the best resource for them. That's great. Hydrogen Mobility Australia is a really great resource, but I'd probably recommend also going on to other places. So the California Fuel Cell Partnership to learn a lot about what's happening in California this all started with Arnold Schwarzenegger a lot of years ago, but having big reports that are done by the government, but also the association, uh, looking at buses, cars, trucks, trains, everything's happening there. Great. It's a great resource. Terrific. To, um, to use. Thanks very much, Scott. We've been speaking to Scott Naga from Hyundai, who is a co-founder of Hydrogen Mobility Australia. The Beyond Zero show is brought to you by the climate change solution think tank Beyond Zero Emissions and is recorded in the studios of 3CR Melbourne and syndicated around Australia on the Community Radio Network. Previous episodes of the show are available on iTunes and Stitcher, so please subscribe and help others find the show. If you enjoy the program and can donate to help cover airtime costs, please go to the BZE website and click on the Donate button. Thanks for listening, and we look forward to you joining us again next week. Beyond Zero Emissions is an internationally recognised climate solutions think tank that is focused on solutions, not problems. 
Become part of the solution by becoming a monthly base load supporter. Go to www.bze.org.au to find out more. bze.org.au You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.